You're listening to ZZ Talk, a father-son generational podcast where we talk about entertainment, culture, and a variety of other subjects from the perspectives of both Gen Z and Gen X. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. So today we are doing the top pop culture moments from our generations. I'm Generation Z, which is 1997 through 2010, but I've got some moments that happen after because I had a lot of living to do as well. Uh, And I'm Generation X, which is the early 1960s until 1980. Uh, That means I was born between that time frame or within that time frame, but there are a number of things that I'm going to talk about that have made an impact on my generation that occurred subsequent to those years, of course. Yes. And of course, there's generational ambiguity. So I, I truly feel like anything that happened after the cutoff is fair game, simply because of the fact that, um, you know, those are moments we live through and they're very significant to us and they're around our time periods. So do you want to start off? Well, yeah, let me just uh, qualify this, though. What we decided, though, that these were these were experiences or events or things that impacted pop culture. Yes. So it's not necessarily milestone events in a time frame or during our lives. Well, they are, but it's not news events like the shuttle disaster in 1986 is not on my list, even though it absolutely forms my um, thinking when it comes to the space race, so to speak. Sure. You would say just a massive influence on pop culture that sort of turned the zeitgeist to a certain way of thinking, acting, doing, what have you. Okay. Got it. All right. Cool. All right. We just want to make sure all of our listeners understand what we're talking about here, because this uh, this is a big one. All right. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, My first one is um, the dawn or the emergence of MTV. MTV started 40 years ago on August 1st. So we've just uh, celebrated a major milestone and, um, you know, it changed music forever. It changed the way we we consume music, the way we uh, experience music. And up until that time, there's been a lot. I've been listening to podcasts about the dawn of MTV. So I won't I want to elaborate on it much more than to say that no question the way I think of music, the way most people in generation um, X think of uh, music is different than it was before MTV because of the visualization of it. Very impactful, a real shame that MTV no longer plays music videos. Yes, certainly. I did not know it was that old. I figured it started in the late 80s, early 90s, but uh, that is wild to me. Um, I will share a short anecdote. I watched okay. cable television for the first time again in probably <laughs> a long time in uh, late 2019, and uh, we turned on MTV, and nearly their entire time slot is filled with ridiculousness. I did not see one music video <laughs> or one thing about music. There was music playing in the background of that TV show, but I will say the host, Rob Deerdeck, is making a killing off of that channel now. So MTV is not what it once was, but it's still uh, very memorable for what it did. All no right. question. All right. What you got? 
Uh, for myself, I have to start with uh, 1997. I will be doing this in no particular order, but I would say Titanic because it was the first movie to make a billion dollars. How wild is that? Before 2000, and I would say that um, Titanic, I think, really sort of shifted uh, pop culture and acting because it made Leonardo DiCaprio a household figure. Uh, people became obsessive about him, which I think led to sort of... Um, People always loved actors and actresses and had big fans and followers, but I think Leonardo DiCaprio did an amazing job of sort of transitioning to not just boy wonder, but a seriously respected actor, and he also eventually won an Oscar, but this movie really is the pinnacle of sort of special big budget filmmaking. I think this is the one that all of those $100 million budget movies tried to follow afterwards to varying degrees of success. So I would say Titanic, it's still in everyone's memory. People still do the thing where they outstretch their arms uh, on the tip of a boat or wherever they're on. It's uh, certainly something that people are still talking about today. And you need to know, I love that film. I know you don't, but I have never stretched out my arms and said, I'm king of the world. So moving on. Uh, the, the next thing for me and Gen X is yuppies. Okay, so... so I think I know what yuppies are, but go ahead and explain it to me. Okay, so yuppies is a term that uh, really is uh, for young, um, upwardly mobile professionals, mm -hmm. Y-U-P. And uh, the very definition of yuppie is a, is a young person with a well-paid job and a fashionable lifestyle. So um, I think fashionable is rather subjective, but yuppies sort of um, define the 80s or at least the early to mid 80s. They were a time of excess. And, um, you know, to, you could spot a yuppie from a mile away. They had the sweater sort of tied around their neck. And, um, you know, it was just a whole, it was a whole look. So nowadays yuppies. we would call those hipsters. Um, but uh -huh. see how <laughs> things change. The first time I learned about the term yuppie was when I was reading a review for American Psycho and they described Patrick Bateman, who is played by, um, Christian Bale as a yuppie. And I said, mm. well, what does that mean? So I looked up the definition and I didn't know that, uh, yup was an acronym young upwardly mobile professional something like that mm -hmm. so pretty cool pretty cool yep. stuff yep. all right next up for me um it's gonna have to be mp3s and ipods and i believe the first ipod uh was created in 2001 um so music file sharing was a really serious uh business back in the day and by business i mean pretty illegal thing to do. It would cause malware on your computer and it took away sales from a lot of labels, artists, and of course, Apple. Um, so Apple decided to do something about it and they created the uh, iPod and the iTunes store. And I mean, that was the first way everybody quote unquote streamed music that really, uh, if iPods walked, so streaming could run, I would say that was sort of how it has impacted pop culture. I, I can't even imagine even though I listened to CDs when I was younger, a life where you could not at least buy a song on demand. I, I'd, mm -hmm. I've always known that life, um, even though, you know, radio and cassettes, I used to listen to those in the car. It's just wild to me how far things have come simply because of one tiny square device. And I, growing up, could buy music on demand by going to the record store and buying a 45 or an LP, a 33. And uh, that's how I would listen to music. But yeah, fun fact, I just got a new computer and all the music that I had that I had purchased from the Apple store for my original iPod and then my iTouch, gone. There's a way you can recover that. There's certainly And you know what? I don't want it. I don't want it. 
it, Fair it, enough. it's literally, I wasted thousands of dollars on it because technology, you know, advanced to the point where now I spend 10 bucks a month or less for all the music I could ever hope to have. Yeah, didn't we all? Oh my gosh. Yep. All those wasted iTunes gift cards. All right. Yep. What's up next? For you? Right. My next one is Who Shot JR? So uh, Who Shot JR was a, the advertising catchphrase for the CBS show uh, Dallas, which uh, aired on CBS on Friday nights for I don't know how many years. But it was a ratings bonanza. The show Dallas itself ran, I think, I don't know, over a decade. And it was for a lot of years, the number one show. But Who Shot JR probably um, uh, um, entered the zeitgeist and was a huge part of it for the better part of a year. I mean, people were walking around with T-shirts that said, Who Shot JR? It was huge. And so I don't have it handy, but the ratings for the episode that revealed Who Shot JR uh, were, were just out of this world. And, and I don't think any TV show will ever supplant the Who Shot JR sort of marketing thing um, the way uh, it will, you know, replace the power of what Who Shot JR did for television, the entire medium, as well as the, um, uh, the ratings for CBS. So I know that Dallas was uh, an older show, but the Dallas of my generation is the one that came out in the late 2000s, early 2010s. I think I had Hayden Panettiere. Um, so I think that one got five or six seasons, but the cultural impact that I've heard of with what you were talking about is pretty incredible uh, just to hear about too. And I, I don't think TV has been nearly as popular with a certain tagline uh, since. All oh. right. Uh, so next up for me, I'm going to say Survivor slash The Amazing Race. Mm, good Survivor, one. I, I feel like Survivor, it was produced by, um, or Mark the, Burnett. Yeah. The Amazing Race was produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, who you yep. might know from National Treasure or the Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, uh, fame. He was the executive producer for those as well. But Survivor and The Amazing Race, I think there were game shows. And then there became reality game shows. And I think that really inspired a whole generation of that type of thing. How long can you survive? Uh, Naked and Afraid, you know, or um, maybe even wipe out American Ninja Warrior. How people can push themselves to their limits, either globally or just simply surviving in a world that is uh, not necessarily... um, in a world that's very hostile to them. And Survivor's still going on. They've had a million iterations of it. And um, I, I have to say, there's very little has ever come close to matching what Survivor has done best. And that is create engaging TV, um, just sort of creating engaging TV at the expense of uh, watching somebody survive necessarily. The Amazing Race is similarly heart pounding. So I always pair those two together. We used to watch them on Wednesdays. So um, pretty great, pretty great stuff. And fun fact, I submitted, submitted an audition tape for Survivor. Okay, oh, moving on. Man. I, I'm going to get my hands on that and I'm going to show the world one day. I cannot. I love Survivor. Great show. Um, okay, my next one is Disco. So disco is obviously a genre of dance music. Um, It emerged in the 70s, and I think nothing defines disco more than a film that came out in, I think, 1977, which was Saturday Night Fever. Um, So between the soundtrack to Saturday Night Fever uh, featured the Bee Gees and and other um, 
other performers and it just transformed the music scene um, for a period of years. There were a number of big disco acts that ultimately suffered real backlash and they and those people had to those performers those artists had to change their their genre of music or sort of uh, morph their genre of music in order to uh, regain some credibility but at the end of the day disco still exists in um, you know people like to hate on disco but at, but at the end of the day dance music is still alive and well and there are many many disco influences in uh, dance music today. So disco. Sounds great. Okay. So, so it was, so uh, disco sucks uh, because a lot, yeah. I think that was a big uh, tagline as well. I saw yeah, it. when you weren't, when you weren't wearing a who shot JR t-shirt, you were wearing a disco sucks t-shirt. Yeah. I saw a 30 for 30 documentary on some riots in 1978 at a American ballpark where um, it was this burning of all these disco vinyls and some ringleader was yes it was crazy um so i saw that a long time ago and that was interesting speaking of ballparks i have a pop culture moment which to some in my generation may say well i really don't care but to me this is the culmination of uh over 100 years uh and this was the 2016 cubs world series win so it ended a 71 year national league pennant drought which is getting to the world series and the last time that they won was in 1908. So 108 years, uh, 108 years. It was a drought. So pretty crazy. Wow. Good one. Yeah. Okay. My next one is a tagline or not a tagline, but a slogan. Just say no. You mind if I pause? So, no. All right. We're back. So mine. Go ahead. So my next, so my next one is just say no, uh, and just say no if you don't remember or well you don't remember because you weren't around uh, was Nancy Reagan's uh, campaign that launched on September fourteenth, nineteen eighty six, where uh, obviously she was the first lady, and it was uh, a campaign which encouraged children to reject experimentation with drugs. Now time has passed, and while I think there's still merit in that slogan or in that campaign. Um, I think if you consider history today and the history that is often unwritten, just say no had a greater implication than um, uh, discouraging children from um, drugs. And I'll just leave it at that for interpretation. Yeah, it's an easy tagline. And um, I do remember hearing that in my youth, but I think it became eventually an offshoot of say no to drugs, which was a dare um, motto. And dare might have been born out of the Reagan era. Uh, uh, Dare was born out of the Reagan era. Yeah, just say no was the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So good generational moment that actually passed on to my generation. All right. So up next, um, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Twilight. Oh my gosh, what happened here? Uh, I would say that (laughs) Twilight and Justin Bieber around the same time, but Twilight made people interested in vampires again. It made it a viable form. And it not only made vampires popular again, it made them attractive to people. People loved Edward Cullen and people eventually loved uh, Jacob the werewolf. I watched the first Twilight again um, a year ago with my girlfriend and... (laughs) 
it had to have been primarily uh, middle schoolers watching this with their parents because <laughs> it was asinine just how ridiculous <laughs> this movie was and i think it also s- sort of goes to show how much more we value quality in our movies uh nowadays because that movie was very much a product of 20 10 2009 when you could really get away with the whole young adult um movie franchises that spawns even worse movies but twilight people still love it people still look back on it fondly and while it's not nearly what it once was i mean uh the hunger games became popular because of it divergent became popular because of it uh tons of young adult fantasy novels uh sold because of it and i think it actually sort of increased book interest for a little while there again too before it sort of died out to audiobooks and kindle readers uh eventually give me a book any day but not really a twilight book okay moving on uh my next one is andrew lloyd weber so andrew lloyd weber is a composer and um he's an english composer who has composed some of the well i might even say almost all of the great musicals of the last 30 years or so including well, more than 30 years now, including Jesus Christ Superstar, Joseph and the, the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, Evita, Cats, Starlight Express, Phantom of the Opera, uh, School of Rock. Um, just it, the list just goes on and on. I think he also did. Yeah, I think I said Cats. But I think it, all Every of them. Every single one of those and, is a high budget movie. Oh, yeah. And the play, the you know, they've run on there's many of them are still running on Broadway or, or London's West End. And I can't imagine any composer having the pop culture impact that Andrew Lloyd Webber has had. The lyrics, the music, extraordinary across the board. So uh, big fan and um, uh, big impact on pop culture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would be remiss uh, without saying this one. So obviously, YouTube and social media collectively. Uh, so you might not remember that Facebook came out in 2004 publicly and it was originally used as a um it was originally used to connect college students with one another and i believe its original uh idea had a little bit more of a boys will be boys sort of implication towards it but i won't go into that it spawned a successful movie uh and the social network which was a little bit of a pop culture study on it and uh just didn't love it yeah even youtube today um wow it was sold to google um which for what, a few billion dollars or so? I remember you telling me that news in about 2006 or seven. And YouTube is an extremely viable way to uh, consume content now. Uh, if TikTok has sort of taken the video uh, appeal and uh, brought it more to Generation Alpha or uh, younger Gen Zs, I would say YouTube continues to hold just as strong. And for many people, you can now become a full-time content creator because of it. I believe the highest uh, paid person on YouTube was a child and they made upwards of $30 million uh, just by unboxing and reviewing toys. And there's plenty of gaming, movie fanatics, and uh, all those other niches in between where you can be anyone uh, you want, say nearly anything you want and become popular because of it. YouTube is incredible. Um, I would also say the same for Instagram and Twitter as well. Uh, any social media, Snapchat as well, that has sort of permeated almost everybody's daily lives in the last 16 years. Good. Yeah. Well, there's no question. It has, I mean, 
even I uh, will uh, spend some time on YouTube on a weekly basis. So, oh, it's entertaining. Um, it is, and you can find anything on it, which is what's amazing mm-hmm. to me. All right, my next one is. Hmm. I'm going to go with Fonzie. Fonzie from. Do you have any? I, thank you, Noah. Yes, I've taught you well. So yeah, Fonzie yeah. is, of course, Arthur Fonzarelli, better known as Fonzie on uh, or the Fonz on Happy Days, the TV show, and um, that he first appeared on uh, the episode called All the Way in 1974. So, you know, Henry Winkler played him. He was a pop culture phenomenon. His his thing was, hey. Yeah, I know. I said that. Hey, you know, that was his thing and and audiences loved it. And it was filmed before a live studio audience. And it just sort of became a whole thing. So if you weren't wearing the T-shirts I've mentioned earlier in this episode, you might have been wearing a T-shirt with Fonzie with his thumb up saying, hey, yep, that was a thing. Times have changed. But God bless him. Henry Winkler has had a really long career. Um, and has been able to really move past that uh, iconic um, character, fictional character from a TV show back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I definitely say so. And uh, while that might not be as cool today, cool has, uh, that was the epitome of cool. And cool it was often moved in different forms throughout the years. And I think he has a very respectable place in the whole zeitgeist of cool people. So um, speaking of happy days, I remember watching a few seasons of it by renting Netflix DVDs. Oh, yeah. Me to my next giant pop culture uh, event, moment in time, impact, streaming services, namely Netflix. Uh, Because I remember the days where we would watch Gilligan's Island, rent movies, and other old TV shows through mail order DVDs. And I think that most people who use Netflix who are my age or older still also remember that. We then started streaming on the Nintendo Wii in about 2007 or 2008, and you had to have a disc. And there was a predetermined set of movies on there, and I'm not sure if they updated them. Uh, So pretty crazy to see how far it's come. Netflix is an entire enterprise. It's a production studio. It's made hit after- I love Netflix. Um, It's brought us- the office and parks and rec uh to a wider audience Uh, netflix despite how little i watch it i would say that it is one of if not the biggest pop culture impact of possibly my entire generation i mean there's no uh, there's no getting around it you know it spawned all these streaming services we know and love Uh, yeah hbo max hulu peacock Not that anybody loves that. Um, and then Paramount Plus, all those. I like Peacock. I love Peacock. I remember the, I remember the day a, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine said to me, uh, we were walking and she said, uh, we, we, we just heard about this new uh, DVD system called Netflix. And you, you order them online and you get the DVDs in the mail and then you return them. And I, my first thought was, well, that'll never last. Well, what do I know? Obviously, zero. But what I do know is that the next pop culture reference for me that's huge is Schoolhouse Rock. Schoolhouse Rock. That was yes. I'm Just a Bill, right? That's exactly Bill. right. So school, right. So programming, it's an animated series, musical educational short films that aired during the Saturday morning uh, programs that we used to watch, you know, sort of in between our, our, our cartoons. 
Um, the, the themes covered grammar, science, economics, history, mathematics, and civics. So it was, I'm just a bill, only a bill, and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. And then conjunction, junction, what's my function? Uh, some of these are, you know, indelibly um, in our minds. Uh, so anyway, Schoolhouse Rock is just a fond, fond memory and a great educational tool that um, really they should just sort of revive. Eh, maybe not. Some things are better left back in time. It wouldn't be as good if they did a reboot today. But Nothing would, is ever as good the second time around. But I would say that they did a really good job of making learning cool, fun, and interesting. And the best kind of learning is when you don't necessarily know that you're doing it. You're entertained, but you are gaining new knowledge. And I feel like right. that, um, I feel like that on TV did a, a fantastic job of being able to teach young minds. So uh, hopefully- I, I think fundamentally we as kids did not realize we were being educated, but they were so catchy that, you know, you couldn't help but and I remember being in college and mm-hmm. somebody referencing Schoolhouse Rock and I thought, oh my gosh, yeah, I know, I love that. And then it was sort of like a common theme for our generation. Oh, certainly, certainly. There's some some things that never really escape you. All right. Um, next up, I have the triumphant return of Star Wars and Baby Yoda. So I would not say that I'm a huge fan of the new Star Wars trilogy, but it came roaring back to life after 2002's Attack of the Clones and 2005's Revenge of the Sith, the latter of which is fantastic, one of my favorite movies. But Star Wars disappeared for a good period of 10 years or so. And uh, once it came back, I believe it was the fastest film to reach a billion dollars, at least domestically. Uh, It made 938 million something to that tune. And uh, each subsequent film was super popular. And while I may not love the new films, I would say that it brought Star Wars back to a new generation of people who could appreciate it. And I really love that it brought the franchise to TV this time. And it's a whole lot more accessible than it was before. I think there's a lot to be excited about. And perhaps the biggest merchandising moment in recent memory is Baby Yoda. I mean, I have a crochet baby yoda for some reason sitting on my bed and i mean i mean i have i have one of them here in my office at all and besides that and you have a couple uh you have a couple action figures as well i do i do yep yeah we've talked about star wars often on this podcast and we will talk about it again in the future i big fan and i completely agree and uh like uh some of the more recent films more than others okay my next one is Saturday Night Live, an American late night television sketch comedy and variety show created by Lauren Michaels, who is still at the helm. Um, Saturday Night Live has been on at 1130 on Saturdays since October 11th, 1975, and it has won 86 primetime Emmy Awards. But for me, and I think for most of us, the thing we love about Saturday Night Live is it has produced some of the greatest comedians of our time. So current comedians like Jason Sudeikis or uh, Amy Poehler or Tina Fey all come out of Saturday Night Live. But Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, Martin Short um, all come out of Saturday Night Live. And, and the list is so much broader and greater than that. So for me, Saturday Night Live, you know, it's, it's very, very political and off-putting at times. But some of the sketches over time, Wayne's World, the Blues Brothers, um, you know, just to name a couple are, are indelibly etched in our minds, <clears throat> particularly for my generation and yours probably. Yeah. And while Saturday Night 
Saturday Night Live might not be what it once was to perhaps your generation. The great thing about it is that it spawns uh, quite a few classic movies, and you'll always see a familiar face on there. I would say it's kept up with the times and featuring relevant celebrity guests. And even if the skits aren't top notch, sometimes it's just really entertaining to watch somebody you recognize just be silly for a while, especially if they play the straight man in a lot of their roles. So pretty cool stuff there. Yeah. All right. So up next for me is something a little bit more serious. And I would say that is the hashtag me too movement. So however you feel about this and whatever way you do, I think this is significant because it taught us to believe women and some of the uh, stories that they tell us about the way that they're treated. And uh, after reading back on so many different problematic things that happened in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and the entertainment industry. And then finally, with the uh, culmination of getting Harvey Weinstein uh, arrested and charged for his crimes, I think it taught our culture to have more accountability. Now, this is a double-edged sword. And I know some people are probably rolling their eyes right now because, yes, cancel culture is a very real thing. And sometimes it becomes, uh, I would say it becomes quite prevalent, uh, too prevalent sometimes. But um, overall, I think the impact of the Me Too movement has allowed people to examine themselves more, their own behaviors, and realize that we need to treat each other equally, professionally, and the way that we want to be treated. So I would say that is a very significant moment in my generation's time. Well stated. Yeah. All right. My next one is the Royal Wedding of Prince Charles and Lady Diana Spencer. So it occurred on Wednesday, the 29th of July, 1981. I remember it was a it was a whole thing, Z. Um, so people were staying up all night long or, you know, because obviously it was occurring in England, which depending on the time of year is either five or six years, uh, five or six hours ahead. So people were getting up in the middle of the night to watch it. Um, and it was just a big, a big thing. And you know, in hindsight, it's almost like it was worth it. And when I say that, I mean, it's such a tale of, of, um, I mean, first of all, Lady Di or Princess Di is such a pop culture icon for, for many people, mm-hmm. especially because her life was taken so, so early. In fact, I remember the day she died. Um, your mom was very, very pregnant with you. And so, um, it was just a, it was a whole thing. So people love the Royals. I'm not one of those people, but certainly the wedding of Prince Charles and Lady Diana Spencer was um, a huge pop culture phenomenon back in the early eighties. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you say that because I didn't think that you cared anything for the British royalty or sort of that whole. Um, I don't really, but it, it was huge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to cite the Royal Wedding, which happened in 2012 for my generation, which had a $34 million price tag, by the way. But uh, I think we've covered enough uh, British uh, nobility for now. Um, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and uh, say for the next one is uh, the deaths of some significant figures in my uh, life. I would say Carrie Fisher, Prince, Michael Jackson and David Bowie, who are among the lists of probably the top 10 most famous artists of all time, maybe not Carrie Fisher, but her role in Star Wars was, but that was uh, very interesting to me because uh, Whitney Houston is also on that list. Uh, It was all within a very short time period, about 2012 through 2016, and um, I, I still feel like 
the impact of their music can be felt today. And people, I, I think when people heard the news, it actually opened uh, up a newer generation to listening to some of the classics. And um, uh, your generation certainly loved these artists as well. So I would say that is an incredibly sort of impactful moment in pop culture. I think it made us realize that our heroes are not immortal, especially uh, some of the biggest stars that we know. Um, so we should be thankful for the music that we consume and the music that we love and how it affects us. You know, it's a really interesting thing that you say that because my next two are almost overlapping with what you just said. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, when you think about, okay, so I'm 53. I was born in 1968. Mm -hmm. um, artists of our generation, of my generation, were names that you just, you know, cited. Uh, you know, Michael Jackson, Prince, George Michael, um, Whitney Houston, all gone now, David Bowie, you know, and, and that just sort of, it, it's, it's sad when, you know, just one more icon of your, of your adolescence or your youth um, is no longer with us. It, it, it gives you a sense of your own mortality. I'm not really into that, but at the same time, I think it does just say, wow, I'm glad that music will live on forever because you know, I'll be the one listening to it. Oh, yeah. Which leads me to the next one, which is um, another pop culture, uh, you know, iconic moment, the release and the duration of Thriller, which we talked about on a recent episode. So I won't belabor this issue, but obviously I'm not sure any album in history. And of course, we're recording this two or three days after Halloween has had as much impact on popular music as Michael Jackson's Thriller from 1982. So. Um, just an incredible album, incredible impact on society. Those songs all live on. And once again, regardless of how you feel about the performer uh, himself, he has left a legacy of music that will uh, just live on. Certainly. Um, and to add to your point, I kept a tally this weekend. I heard Thriller being played 10 times and I saw three people doing the Thriller dance. So I would definitely say that it's lasted throughout the years. Cool. Interesting. All right. So up next, um, did I say the Kardashians yet? No, and you could just skip them if you want. I'll be brief with this. Um, <laughs> if you recognize any of the Kardashians, Courtney, uh, Kim, or Kendall Jenner, or Caitlyn Jenner, or uh, who was the other one? The billionaire, Kylie Jenner. Uh, pretty, pretty wild stuff. Um, there's been a storied history with them. Uh, Kim was married to Kanye West, who is also one of the largest artists of today. And I think that the Kardashians started influencer culture. And you know, these micro influencers that are super popular, especially for my generation. I think that they truly sort of started that whole trend to an extent. And Kylie Jenner became uh, the youngest billionaire of all time, uh, not having inherited all of her money. Um, and what can I say about the Kardashians that haven't been said already? I mean, certainly when they began uh, being known popularly in 2007, 2008, there's just been so many moments with all of them uh, that uh, have really influenced my generation and probably millennials as well. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. And it's real. So um, I don't disagree. Okay, my next one, I only have a couple more, though. My next one is the Games of the 23rd Olympiad, which is uh, the Los Angeles <clears throat> Olympic Games from 1984. This was uh, a period of time, you know, uh, the 80s were a period of ex excess. 
Um, I think it was, you know, no matter how, every generation has its um, unrest. Um, certainly this one does, but I would say that what is not unique, unique is one of a kind and nothing is really unique, but what was really special about the games of the 23rd Olympiad uh, was that it, I feel like it really did bring the world together, certainly brought the country together. Uh, and every night we were glued to it, watching athletes like Mary Lou Retton and Bart Connor and Nancy Hogshead and Rowdy Gaines um, just really just outdo themselves one night after the next, after the next. And for me, the a, a sort of a watershed moment in my adolescence is uh, the Los Angeles Summer Olympics. Great. Um, my next uh, pop culture moment event is Iron Man, which came out in 2008. This is the definition of the perfect superhero movie. Um, if Blade came before it, uh, but not from Disney necessarily, Iron Man was the start of the most lucrative film franchise ever in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It spawned that whole franchise. It made DC come out with bigger films as well. Um, I think The Dark Knight also came out in 2008. But there is there are so many people who are so now diehard superhero fans because of that film. And Disney bought it for $4 billion. And it's generated over $20 billion in ticket sales alone. That number has to be higher. But um, Avengers Endgame uh, was the highest grossing movie of all time. I think it overtook Avatar. And, um, I, you know, I got to say, I, I got to say, the even if they become a little bit samey, I love myself some superhero films on occasion, and I'm really, really happy to see that it started a trend of quality within this franchise, and it spawned a million other things, you know, like um, Invincible or The Boys or the DC Cinematic Universe. So many uh, amazing uh, superhero properties came out of this and TV shows as well. Um, which is pretty crazy because it's a far cry from Marvel's bankruptcy in 1996. So pretty cool stuff. Iron Man started the MCU franchise. Especially when you think that 1986, did you say no? 96. Mm -hmm. For me, I know for you, 1996 seems like a long time ago. You weren't even alive. For me, 1996 feels like it was two years ago. I mean, honestly, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it it really, when I think about the 90s, it, it feels like they were not all that long ago when obviously they were. And I would just say this Avengers Endgame, you know, I've seen most of the Marvel films. Avengers Endgame is not only a great conclusion or, well, let's, let's be honest. It's not really a conclusion, but a great uh, superhero film. It is a great film. Yeah. In my opinion. Absolutely. All right. I just have uh, two more here and I'm going to go with, Star Wars and The Breakfast Club. These are two films that define a generation. Of course, Star Wars is from 1977, and we've already talked about that, and I could go on and on and on, do five more episodes about Star Wars, and I'd be perfectly happy. Um, But The Breakfast Club is the quintessential John Hughes film putting together teenagers in detention, teenagers from all sort of different stereotypes right so you had the jock you had the popular girl you had the 
the nerdy kid, you had the social outcast, and they're all together. And of course, they all learn to, uh, you have the, the, the bad boy, so to speak. And they, they all learn to respect and appreciate each other over the course of a Saturday detention. I, I think it was every teenager's goal for that to happen to them, no matter you know how you approached uh, society, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I know it's a film that you can't appreciate and probably a film that doesn't hold up quite as well. A lot of films don't hold up so well, that. but but it's 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 a movie that your mom and I could just go back back to over and over and over again. So the Breakfast Club, but of course Star Wars, it, it defines a generation, defines pop culture in so many ways. Yes, I will say the Breakfast Club is the ultimate coming of age movie, if not Ferris Bueller, which I believe was also John Hughes. Anyone? Uh, Bueller? Anyone? <laughs> yeah, but. Um, I remember not loving The Breakfast Club, but I saw it when I was 10 or 12, but I certainly respect the impact that it had. And it was a very, very good premise, you know, just entertaining yeah. stuff all around. So yeah, with a great theme song. Don't you forget about me. I was about to say that was its theme song, right? And I love that song. So, no. No. all right. Uh, so up next for me is Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton is very interesting in the way that it was made. First of all, it was unique in that it mixed show tunes with rap, which had never been done before, to my knowledge. And I think it brought about uh, renewed interest in some people for uh, Broadway stages, even though it's already been popular. But it opened up this sort of, it casted this wider net for a lot of people who maybe didn't look into Broadway uh, without it, you know? So pretty cool that they did that and I loved that they did sort of historical casting changes and added caricatures to these figures you know they gave them a lot of personality I haven't actually I've read uh, the synopsis of uh, the play but I haven't seen any iteration of it but every person who's been has certainly let me know and uh (laughs) (laughs) and uh, you know I've heard I've heard incredible things about it all around so super unique it only came out in 2015 15 or 16 if i'm not mistaken not that long ago no not that long ago yeah so uh hamilton uh what more could be said it is yeah. pop culture phenomenon interesting i've seen it on disney plus huh? you know it it's life-changing for a lot of people not me uh, okay my last one is um i'm gonna put them all together where's the beef hey mikey he likes it And Won't You Be a Pepper too? Iconic marketing campaigns of the 1980s. So Where's the Beef was Clara Peller, you know, uh, walking up to the Wendy's counter. She gets a hamburger. She can barely, oh, no, not Wendy's because it was a Wendy's commercial. So it was the competitor that uh, where she orders the hamburger and she looks in between the bun and she can barely see the burger. So Where's the Beef? She was 80 plus years old. It was hilarious. Um, Hey, Mikey, he likes it. That was, you know, Life Serial and Mikey, this little kid who they didn't think he was going to. Mikey's not going to like it. He hates everything. And sure enough, he likes Life Serial. And then, uh, you know, uh, be a pepper, drink Dr. Pepper, a classic um, marketing campaign for uh, for a soft drink. So those are just three samples or examples of classic marketing campaigns that um, really I'm not sure they exist anymore. Yeah, you could say that Geico or Progressive, Progressive or, or some of these companies have memorable, and some one or two of them do, but I don't know. You know, you can tell on Gen X when I start saying everything was better back in my day. It kind of was. 
All right. I am. Uh, agree to disagree entirely. <laughs> but okay. um, yeah, so I am going to go uh, with one last mix. And I would say it's these three artists, Beyonce, Jay-Z, and Eminem. Uh, Eminem is- Never heard of any of them. <laughs> I'm kidding. I know each of them. And I know some of their songs too. Uh, if I could speak. Uh, Eminem is, uh, <laughs> of course, notable uh, because he is probably the only uh, relevant uh, white rapper who ever existed. I know you're going to cite your 80s. Um, it was Vanilla Ice. Vanilla no, I'm not. That's not, a, that's not a legit rapper. Don't worry. But, um, you know, Eminem came out of the gates. Uh, he was discovered or put on by Dr. Dre. And he just, I mean, he was one of the best-selling artists uh, of all time, nearly immediately. And he had a huge comeback with uh, 2010's Recovery. And I know a lot of people in my generation in middle school loved that album. So, you know, Eminem, he's, he's just a phenomenon. He's an anomaly. And then I would say uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce, because Jay-Z became the very first uh, billionaire in rap pretty amazing stuff. Uh, Beyonce is married to Jay-Z and vice versa, obviously. But Beyonce was, she started in Destiny's Child, um, releasing their first album in 1998 and went on to have a solo career by, I believe, 2003. And I don't think she's ever missed. I don't ever think she's had a flop. I truly think that she is the most popular artist lasting of my generation. And for good reason. She puts on incredible showmanship or showwomanship. And uh, she has so many incredible hits. I, I mean, I really actually love listening to Beyonce. And I remember she, listened, uh, she released an album in 2015 or 16 called Lemonade, which was a little bit more of a hard-edged style and even a genre switch, like a different tone and style made her even more popular. I mean, uh, she's untouchable. And I would just say that if you are my age or even a millennial, you know exactly who Beyonce is and you know exactly who Jay-Z is. So pretty cool stuff. That's it. Okay. All right. I'm done too. All right. So let's move on into our check it out section. Um, so I'll go, I'll go second because I've been talking for a little while. What do you got? I got Dune. Dune. So Dune is obviously a remake because everything is uh, of the 1984 film. Fun fact. Last night I was talking to Luke's girlfriend and I asked her uh, if she had ever seen, they had just gone to see Dune. And um, I asked, I told, I said, you know, who was in the first Dune? And she said, who? And I said, Sting. And she said, who's that? Yeah, come on. I mean, like I know Sting, but that's just because I'm a nerd, you know, nobody. And then I said, do you know who Bono is? And she's like, no, I've never heard of him. She has. Okay. That's for sure. Uh, she has heard Bono. So anyway, back to Dune. Dune is, uh, you know, been recently released. It's uh, on, what is it on? HBO Max as well. So you know I watched it. And as a consumer of science fiction, quality science fiction, this is at the top. Excellent. Yeah. Outstanding. Loved it. Yes, it's two hours and 35 minutes. So yes, I watched it over the course of multiple days. But fantastic visuals. Outstanding acting. Um, not, it's kind of a slow burn, but it's not boring ever. And, uh, it's really well done. I highly recommend it. Dune, check it out. Well, that's great to hear. Um, because you don't like anything. Um, and it's pretty cool because almost everybody who's seen Dune. I'm has, discerning. Discerning. Fair enough. Jaded. Uh, <laughs> anyway, everybody who's seen Dune and talked to me about it has had high praise for it. And you know what I really love about it too? Most, if 
uh, not all of the people who have told me about it have seen it in the theater, which is cool that people mm. are going back now. Yeah, Luke and Lane saw it in the theater. Yeah, and um, each person who has spoken to me about it has had the option of HBO Max. So yeah. I think that is a positive upward change that I did not see coming so soon. I, I agree. Uh, they also saw it on IMAX, by the way, which I think this is a film. If I'm going to go to an IMAX theater, which I've done like twice in my life, this is a film I think I could benefit from seeing in IMAX. Speaking of, only two short hours ago, I made plans uh, to go see it in IMAX this weekend. So I am oh, good. super excited about that. Uh, can't wait. All right. For my recommendations, uh, check it out. I am going to ask you to check out the Book of Boba Fett trailer, uh, which is... Uh, I did. Yes, I, I bet you did. The new uh, Star Wars miniseries, I believe, that is coming in uh, at the end of this year. And you should also check out the Morbius trailer. It is uh, a new Marvel film. I'm not, I don't think it's from Disney. I think it's going to be rated R. So I think it's a Sony Marvel film. Um, and it features Jared Leto and the lead role. I have. Well, then I will uh, not be seeing it. <laughs> well, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty fascinating because Morbius is a character that I think is really out of people's general knowledge of superheroes. So uh, it's going to be more serious, not jokey action comedy necessarily. So it might be pretty brutal. So check out that trailer and check out the book of Boba Fett's trailer. Um, that's what I got for today. All right. So you don't you don't get to check it out next week because you had two this week. I'm totally fine with that because usually I blank on it. So <laughs> no, you don't. Get, you don't get a pass. Sorry. It's crazy. You know, I get. I, I have so much to say, but so little to say when it comes to this section. So. Oh, you have a lot to say, Noah. That's for sure. All right. Um, thank you very much for listening to another episode of our show. I uh, am sorry for not marketing last week's episode. Uh, so hopefully you can go back and listen to that if you have any interest in some post-Halloween festivities. But uh, until next week, I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is Easy Talk. It's easy Talk. We're going to get it one day. I know we can. <laughs>